awesome. Um, and the scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to 18. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham bought, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down in the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Amen. Because uh, whenever Current does uh, door hanging, we somehow make a competition out of it. Um, so th that'll be a lot of fun. And, and to highlight what Oscar said, it's a wonderful opportunity not to just get out there and market it and you know, make sure we get the, the word out on the event itself, but to be in the community, to, to, to be in the community, pray for the community uh, um, in, in the flesh so we, we take it in and we understand, we remind ourselves this is who we are, this is where we are, this is where God has us, this is where we're, who we're serving. Um, so it's a wonderful opportunity. Let's definitely take advantage of that. And I personally can't wait for the shirts. A lot of voting have been going into that, so that's going to be fun. Um, hey, I'm David. I'm the pastor here at Current. I'd like to start with prayer. And I do want to pray for Santa Fe in the high school there. If you guys have been paying attention in the news, there's just a, another tragic shooting there. And then, of course, I want to pray for our time as we get into the word. Let's pray. Father, our hearts go out to the victims and the families of the victims, especially the ones who didn't make it of the Santa Fe, uh, Santa Fe uh, High School shooting this week. Uh, we know in your word you said these sorts of tragedies, violence, and earth pains would, would increase as time marches on. But we pray for your healing, your comfort, and your protection. 
And would you please give our nation's leaders wisdom to do what's best for our country? And Father, now as we turn to your word, would you open it to our hearts and our minds? Father, would you, would you speak to each of us? We long to, to be touched by your spirit. Give me your words. Help me to get out of the way and your, and your spirit to, to speak to us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're starting a new series. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been doing a Thriving in Relationship. I hope it's been helpful to kind of focus in on and give special care to relationships. Uh, that's been the last couple of weeks. What I want to do today is do a bit of a tweener series, I'm calling it. Uh, summer is coming, and we have in, in two Sundays, we're going to be out in the park, literally a couple hundred yards that direction. Uh, so we're not going to be meeting here. We're going to be out there serving in the park. But I figured, you know, with two weeks between then and now and then wanting to start a new one as we, as we get into the thick of the summer, I want to do this tweener series, this little two-parter. So what I'm calling this series is, Where is God in This? Where is God in this? I've had a number of conversations uh, with, with plenty of you in, the, in this room, and I've found that uh, there, there are many going through things either right now or looking down the pipeline towards what is coming ahead, and you're asking, boy, how is this going to work out? How is this going to work out? Where is God in this? And today's question in this short little tweener two-part series, I want to focus in specifically on the question, why isn't God providing? So where is God at this, and why isn't he providing? Even if you might not identify as Christian, you might find yourself asking, God, you know, if, if you exist, uh, why aren't you showing up in this area of my life? Like, why, why aren't you providing? If you do identify as Christian, I know you've asked this question. Probably more times you'd care to admit. God, where are you at? Why aren't you providing? It's a question I've asked many times in my life. It's a question I've asked many times uh, in the startup nature of this church, getting current off the ground, I remember in 2015, I was asking that question a lot. I still ask the question a lot. God, where are you? How is this going to work? Why aren't you providing the funds, you know, more people, the resources? How is this going to work for my family, my kids? Um, some of you guys might be asking that question in your career right now. God, why aren't you providing the next job opportunity? How come it's not working out? Or maybe it's with that special someone. God, why aren't you providing him or her? Where's the clarity at in this? Or if you're ever talking about provision or lack thereof in the Silicon Valley, you have to give a nod to the housing market. Uh, God, why aren't you providing in the housing? Like, where's, how is this going to work out? The apartment uh, situation. How am I going to live? Why aren't you providing? Uh, today's question that we're looking at, why isn't God providing, turns out was a question that the earliest women and men of faith were asking in the Bible. Uh, I love the story that we're reading today, the account of which is thousands of years old, okay, millennia ago, and yet Abraham is asking this very question, this patriarch of the faith, why aren't you providing, God? He asks a number of times in this text, why aren't you providing? And so I think uh, what's helpful for us today is as we consider this thought, we, and as we see how Abraham wrestled through this very question, this very topic, this very real and relevant need to us today, how do we, how can we equip ourselves for facing things when it feels like God might not be there? How might we equip ourselves when it seems like God isn't providing? Uh, the context for today's story, where Abraham's story starts is back in Genesis 12. Now, quick side note, because some of you guys are going to get a neck twitch if I don't say something here. I'm, we're looking at Abraham's life today. 
Uh, and Abraham's life in Gen- after Genesis 15, which is what we're looking at today, his name changes finally to Abraham. Okay, if you were picking it up when we were reading the text, it was saying Abram, Abram, Abram. Uh, that's the same guy. Okay, you're going to hear the same thing. And in my notes, I actually have it written down as Abe for shorthand. You might even hear me say Abe. But all the same guy, okay? Abraham, Abram, all, all this sort of thing. Um, we are introduced to him in Genesis 12. And what's fascinating to me is here is this great man of the faith. This guy who not only Christians and Jews esteem as this like amazing man of God, this incredibly important historical figure. Uh, he's this impressive guy, but he has a very impressive introduction. If you look at the account in Genesis 12, we're, we're told a couple of details about his life, but basically his introduction to us in Genesis 12 is, and God showed up and began speaking with him. Hi, Abraham, this wonderful, like, huge guy in history. He just showed up, God shows up and starts talking to him, which I think is worth mentioning because so often we can think, oh, man, here's these great people of the faith, but really the only reason why they become these people that we remember, they're, wow, they're amazing people, is because God just said, you know, I'm going to be gracious to this dude. And show up. We're not given any huge pedigree. This is Abraham, who he is. We're basically said, God just showed up and t- decided to bless this guy. Which, that's the gospel. We'll keep talking about it as we move ahead. But God shows up and he calls Abraham out of the land of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, as, as Oscar read. And w- which is essentially modern day Iraq. With this calling, with this promise, essentially, you can look at it, this is a paraphrase, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Abraham, Go. Go to the land, I will show you, and I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless many through you. That's the promise. That's the calling. And Abraham, to his credit, went. And I love it because the very next section of that same chapter 12 in Genesis, Abraham starts to screw up. This great man of faith. He gets all the way out from modern-day Iraq to what's ultimately going to be the promised land. Of course, that's modern-day Israel. A famine hits. And he decides, you know what, let's go down to Egypt and, and, and ride this thing out. Egypt has, you know, uh, plenty of food. We'll go down there. So they, so they leave the promised land, or eventually will be the promised land. Go down to Egypt, and Abraham starts to understand something that he's a little worried about, a little nervous about. He realizes that when he goes to Egypt, Pharaoh and all his officials are going to see Sarah, his wife, as gorgeous. And he's really nervous about that. Because he figures, and he says this to Sarah, he says, hey, Sarah, you're really beautiful. We understand that. If we go there and they think that we are married, they're going to kill me and take you. How about we say we're siblings? How about that? Which, wives, would you want your husband to say that? Like, step up and like, or this be the person who's remembered as a great person of faith? Like, this is what he was doing. Like, the same chapter as that amazing promise I just shared with you. So they go, and sure enough, uh, Pharaoh comes and says, okay, hey, Sarah, yeah, take Sarah in. And before anything bad can happen, God decides to intervene. You know, Abraham's not doing his part. God intervenes, sends some infectious diseases, and one thing leads to another. Well, boy, that didn't come out right. (laughs) Not that kind of infectious disease. Wow. (laughs) That's going to be one I remember. Okay. Not that kind. Before that's, anyways, all right, moving along. So they, Pharaoh figures it out. Pharaoh figures it out. Figures it out that, that Abraham and Sarah are actually, in fact, married. Pharaoh goes to Abraham and is like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? How, are you serious? Why would you lie to me like this? Sends them away, okay? So now we understand that Abraham's been through some things. He eventually gets back to what will eventually be the promised land. In Genesis 13, God comes to him again. Note that this is after Abraham had that whole episode, okay? 
And God says to him there, he, he says more specifically, here's what the promise is. I'm going to give you offspring. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this land. And then we start to understand what the promised land is. So in chapter 12, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Chapter 13, he comes and says, this is what this means. Obviously, it's going to, you're going to have offspring. It's, you're, going to, you're going to have this wonderful land. Uh, more things happen in Genesis 14, and then we eventually come up years later, probably five, maybe ten years later, to Genesis 15, where we come today, and Abraham still doesn't have a kid. And he's trying to figure this out. God, where are you at in this? Why aren't you providing? You told me you're going to give me a kid. He's trying to figure this out. We're told back earlier on that Sarah is actually barren. So he's like, how's that going to work? We're also told at the beginning of this, years have passed since then, the beginning of this, he's already up there in age. He's like, how is that going to work out? So he's wrestling this through, God, where are you at in this? Why aren't you providing? Which leads us to our text today. Genesis 15, verse 1, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, here's what's striking to me about this. It is abundantly clear from the context here that Abram, Abraham, is struggling through everything I just told you. Like, God, how is this going to work out? How is this going to get a kid? How am I going to have a kid? How is this going to work out for, for me to become a nation? It's abundantly clear that's what he's struggling through, and God does not directly address that in this vision. You see that? God doesn't come and say, oh, Abraham, I know you've been trying to figure out how this is going to work out. Let me tell you how this is going to work out. I'm going to give you your son this way, and this is how it's going to pan out in the long run. You're up there in age, but don't worry. That's all going to work. doesn't do any of that. What does he say? He gives him a promise that is infinitely greater. So Abraham is saying, God, why aren't you providing? God doesn't directly address that. What God promises him is infinitely greater, which I think is important to stop and pause for a moment, to let sink in. Because if you're like me, what tends to happen when we are really worried about why isn't this coming to me, why isn't this panning out, you, if you're like me, are consumed by it. God, why isn't my career working out? God, why isn't this person in my life, you know, I, I have these thoughts, this is where I want to go, this is what I'd love my life to, this is what my, I want my life to be. You know, the housing situation, God, I, I feel like you want me in the Silicon Valley. I had a couple last week say, hey, could you pray for us? We're looking for an apartment uh, this weekend, and then we're going to move back next week, hopefully have a spot. I was just like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Like, everybody in this room knows that feeling. Your heart rate is probably going up a little bit because you know the housing market. God, how are you going to provide? How, these, these are things that just consume us, and rightly so. I mean, this, it's everything to us. But what God does when he comes to Abraham, who is trying to figure this all out, comes with a promise that is so wonderful, but on the surface of it, Abraham probably could have missed it and just thought, if anything, this is a little frustrating. God, I'm trying to figure out how you're going to provide for me, and you're talking about something else, and yet it's the best promise there is. There's no better promise. I can't, there's no better promise to Abraham and to us down the ages. God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. Uh, here's what he's saying. Greater than the provision, you and I, we get the provider. We get the one who is the creator, the sovereign, the one who holds life in his hands, Looking out for us. 
engaging us in personal relationship. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news, the gospel, is not the American dream. I was listening to a speaker the other day, a gal who was, who was sharing some words, and um, she said that at Billy Graham's uh, funeral recently, uh, I tried to look into this. Maybe I didn't find the right, the right source, but she was saying at, the, at, the, at Billy Graham's uh, funeral, somebody got up there and said it, uh, he, what he had said at one point is the biggest mistake we can make in life as Americans is mistake the gospel for the American dream. That we think what it's all about when it, when it all push comes to shove is, it, shove is God wants to bless us with health, wealth, and prosperity. Um, but that's not the gospel. That's not the most. In fact, if, if we think that the best thing in life is that he takes care of us in this way or that way, he provides in this way or that way, if we think that that's ultimately what it's all about, the Bible says you're selling yourself short. We have something far greater we have the heavenly provider uh, who will take care of earthly provisions, but before we even think about that, he is our shield. He offers himself as our great reward. Uh, my six-year-old son, he's, he, he's getting older, and he's learning that he can ask daddy for different things. Um, Pokemon cards. They are so savvy with their marketing. It's like, got to catch them all. I'm like, no, son, we don't got to catch them all. We'll catch two, and then I'm putting my wallet away, okay? It's like he just comes, and he's like, okay, you know, and six-year-old self, he's, he comes to daddy, he comes to mommy, hey, can I get this sort of thing? And you know where I'm going with this. Far better than anything we can give him, which sometimes we determine as Pokemon cards or whatever it might be. Um, far better than anything that we'll, we'll, we'll do as we kind of discern this or that, because he gets us. Now, I'm not claiming to be perfect parents. In fact, Cindy and I would be the first to say, boy, far, far from it. But, but you, hear, you hear my point. What we're doing is we're thinking about Caleb in ways that he doesn't even understand we're thinking about him. I mean, my six-year-old son can't even articulate, like, the word development. I mean, we're thinking about Caleb's development holistically, his physical, his emotional, his spiritual well-being, which means from time to time that we have to discipline him. Caleb's a great boy. We don't have to discipline him too often. I was calculating her age when she listens to this online. I love you, Maddie. All right. It means disciplining him from time to time. It means depriving him of something that might even actually be good for him from time to time. It means allowing him to walk through things, not just removing him from hardships, even in kindergarten, that I would really, I'll be real with you, want to remove him from. But walking with him through it, helping him develop and let his character grow so that he's, he's equipped not only to handle life in those sorts of situations, but to be able to be a life giver in those situations going forward. Um, he doesn't just get what he thinks about asking for from time to time. He gets something that he, he might not even recognize. How much greater, how much more blessed are we when we get the Heavenly Father? The great provider, uh, if we as human beings, imperfect parents, think so much about our children and their growth, um, how much more does God, our perfect father, care for us what we're going through, in, in what we're going through? How much more precious is our relationship with him? Friends, especially Christ followers, sometimes the things that we feel like God is holding out on us with 
God, why aren't you providing? Our hearts and our emotions, they can get the best of us. But truth is, we have something way better. And it's no hyperbole to say infinitely better. Greater than the provision, we get the provider. Here's what this means for me. As I'm thinking about this, I want to, going forward, I want to, as best as I can, when I come to situations where I'm just consumed with, how is this not working out? Like, God, why aren't you providing? Or however else I, I articulate that in my mind. I want to have a, a gut check. A gut check that says, oh, my goodness, wait, am I stopping for a second and realizing that the grand scheme of things, these things, okay, they matter, but they basically just matter to me. But what matters so much more is that I have him walking it through with me, thinking about me, caring for me, even if I might not script things to turn out the way that they turn out. He's inviting me into a life that's not just about the temporary but about the eternal, starting with our relationship with, with him. Now we receive that, we're blessed by that, and into uh, the next life. Uh, greater than the provision, we get the provider. And yet, and yet, God does care about what we care about. I love this in the text. Uh, we see Abraham receive this wonderful vision, this wonderful promise. God is his shield, his very great reward. And Abraham says, oh, you're right, God. Thank you. I've been thinking about this offspring thing, this great nation, the provision a little too much, and your great perspective shift, God. Thank you. You are my shield. You are my great reward. I'm, I'm done. I have nothing else to say. No, Abraham doesn't say that. Actually, verse 2 says, so God promises himself this wonderful thing. And then verse 2, but Abram said. Now, if you're a parent, you know when son or daughter comes back with but mommy, or but daddy, things are going downhill at that point. Abram comes back and he says, but aren't you so glad Abraham was so messed up? I mean, this patriarch of the faith is so real. I love how real the Bible is. But God, why aren't you providing? Verse 2, but Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Here's what amazes me about this. Not so much that Abraham has his response. I get his response. God gives him the most amazing promise ever, goes over his head, but God, why aren't you providing? That doesn't so much amaze me because that's me. I get that. What amazes me about this text is how God in turn responds. Because God could have said, and justifiably so, hold up, time out, Abraham. I just promised you something greater than you have any idea. Go on a time out. Abraham, go on that little hill. Go sit down. Like, he could have done that, but here's what he does. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. My word is God good. Gracious, patient. He's responding to Abraham on Abraham's level. I love that. Abraham doesn't deserve God to respond to him on his level. I I don't deserve him to respond on my level. But God chooses to. Speaking directly into it. Not your servant, Abraham. It's going to be your own child takes him out on a little walk and says, look at the scars. Gives him a little visual aid. Shows him the beauty of it. Here's why God cares about Abraham's 
in the grand scheme of the universe, little thing. God cares about what Abraham cares about because God cares about Abraham. And because Abraham cares about it, therefore God cares about it. God cares about what you and I care about, as small as it might be in the grand schemes of the universe, the creator, the sovereign, because you and I care about it. He loves us, and he cares for us, and he enters into it, which means if you're in a place where you're crying out, God, why aren't you providing? He hears you, and he's in it with you. If you are hurting in the job scenario, in your career, you're looking for that work, it's why isn't it coming? He's in there with you. If you're trying to figure out how's this life go- situation going to work, that special sum of why, why isn't it playing out? He is in it with you. He loves you. He, he cares for you. He cares about these things because he cares for you. My brother has had a really hard path in life, uh, a real hard path in life. He's been, he's been uh, practicing to become a surgeon, okay? And uh, it's been a real hard path for him, even though it's been something from the very beginning he's thought, you know what, this is how I'm gifted, I, you know, I, I think I could do this for God. In fact, his whole dream from the very beginning is I could become a surgeon and I can go to the uh, third world country where they don't have the, the, the resources or, the, or, the, or the, the practicing surgeons, the expertise to care for people who don't have that. Uh, so he's very early on said, I'm going to go do this and I feel like this is what I can do for, for God and for loving others. And yet it's been really hard. He's been trying to figure out, how is this working out? In fact, it's, uh, you know, for, for starters, no one, he's, he's the first person in my family to be a doctor. So he doesn't have anybody, like an uncle, aunt, or whatever, to call up and say, hey, I'm thinking about this side of surgery. I'm thinking about this side of, which I'll tell you, if, if that's you and your medical profession, you know how infinitely valuable that is. He hasn't had that. So he's had to make a lot of, uh, of, of decisions learning the hard way. He's actually had to make some, some, some course shifts midstream on his way to becoming a surgeon. If you know the medical profession, if you're shifting course midstream, that's not good. That means sometimes, like years of how he's practiced, a couple years in one case in particular, he's been practicing this specialty, has basically on paper come for naught because he moved into this specialty. And we're not just talking wasting a couple of years just as hard as that is. We're talking years of over 100 hours of work per week, no social life, killing himself. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and then the whole time, you know, it's, he's, been, he's been lonely through the whole thing. He actually just so happened broke up with a girlfriend right before he went into medical school. That time he doesn't work out great. He is amazing with kids. He's an amazing uncle. He just loves kids. That's something that's so important to him. But he has no time for a social life, let alone meeting someone special on that front. I've had many conversations with him where it's just on the other end of the, the line, well, both sides of the line. It's just tears, trying to figure this out. But my brother, though he's younger, is somebody I look up to because the whole time he's, he's asked a lot of questions. God, why are you providing? How is this supposed to work? Where are you at in this? And yet he's always been resolved to keep moving forward. It's, it's been an amazing journey to be with him because he wants his life at the end of the day to matter. And that's what I think a lot of this is about. Life is short. Life is really short, shorter than we, than, than we realize. And the things that we gain or keep in this life, the comforts, um, they're temporary. And they're going to fade away. That's not to say that God doesn't want us to enjoy things in life, the comforts. There's a lot of wonderful things that he's created for our enjoyment. Uh, that's not to say those things are bad. No, those are great. But what, 
But where comfort is temporary, God invites us into something far greater, infinitely greater, a relationship with him that's based entirely on what he has done, who he is, and what he wants to do in you and through you. That's what the rest of this text is about. I love this story. It's, it's a fascinating story. Verse 7, Genesis 15 picks up. God gives his word to Abraham. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. You know what God's doing there? He's saying, hey, take my word for it, Abraham. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you my word that this is going to happen. Verse 8, Abraham says, cool, got it. No, nope. he says, but, but God... Verse 8, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Can you believe the audacity of Abraham? God has just said, I'm, I am the Sovereign Lord. I'm giving you my word. This is going to happen. Abraham's like, prove it. I need some verification here, God. Like, you, that's crazy. But God doesn't miss a step. Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon, Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in, in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, we're reading this, and we're like, what in the world is going on there, okay? And that's just a reminder that we are reading this as 21st century Americans, okay? Uh, Abraham knows exactly what's going on because he just, he doesn't skip a beat. He just goes off and he does it. He knows what God is doing. God is setting up uh, a contractual agreement. Actually, the word is covenant. You'll see that in there. Covenant is essentially a contract, but whereas a contract is only kind of business transactional, a covenant has a relational component to, to it. Best example probably is marriage. Like we are legally binding, but there's also a relationship binding, that sort of thing. God is setting up a covenant agreement with him. Let's use the word contract because that's a little bit more commonplace in our language. He's setting up a contract, contractual agreement, and when we do contractual agreements, what do we do? We have people signed on the dotted line, right? Here are the terms. Here are the penalties. Sign on the line. We'd like to think, hey, just take my word for it, but no, no, no. If, we, if you go down that road, you know, you get someone to sign it, and, 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 and both parties understand the, the terms. Back then, this was the practice, okay? Not 21st century America, millennia ago, this was the practice for making an agreement that was binding. Uh, and, and what they would do is they would, they would cut these two animals. They would cut the animals and they would set a little kind of like uh, uh, aisle that both parties would work through, walk through. And what they were making clear is, okay, we've come to understanding. Here's the agreement. And may it be to each of us, should either of us break the agreement, may it be done to us like these animals on the side who have been, who have been cut off. Um, so Abraham prepared this, this contract, this covenant ceremony, and he presumes, okay, th this is how this works, and God's probably going to show up, and we're going to walk through, and we're going we're to solidify this thing. But then the most amazing thing happens. The most astonishing thing happens. Verse 12 says, God put Abraham into a deep sleep. It says, with thick and dreadful darkness coming over him. And instead of the two walking through this together, God walks through alone. Um, what was the contract agreement? What was this covenantal agreement? It said a number of places, and I've, I've kind of said it in, in, in the context of those setting up, but, but basically to summarize it, what God was promising to do is, I will be your God and you will be my people. That was essentially the covenant agreement, the contractual agreement. And what was being said is, and may it be done to me, if, if I don't fulfill my end of things, may, we be like, may I be like these animals? Abraham was probably sweating that part of the deal. 
I mean, God's not going to go back. You can't kill God. He's going to be He's going to be faithful to his word. But Abraham's like, boy, and I have to be faithful to him. Okay, we're going to walk through this. I don't know how this is going to work out. But the most amazing thing happens. God comes, puts him in a deep sleep, and only walks through himself. God. And in so doing, what he was saying is, Abraham, I will fulfill my side. I will, fa- I will be your God faithfully. And if I'm not, may I be like these animals. But I will also fulfill your side. If you don't remain faithful to me, I will still be like these animals. And now you're hearing the gospel. These events were foreshadowing the cross. This is what Jesus came to do, to die for Abraham and all who would receive Abraham's promises when they would not live up to it, which Abraham had already proven he, wasn't, he didn't have it in him. That whole episode in, in, in Egypt, he repeated that. He did that again. He did any number. Abraham was an amazing figure of faith, but if there's anything that's encouraging to me is Abraham on every page is messing up over and over again. That's encouraging because I mess up in every page of my life. That's human nature, and that's God's nature to say, you know what, I'm going to take care of what you cannot take care of yourself. This was the game changer moment. Genesis 15. The only thing better in the Bible is the culmination of this promise, which is the cross. Mark tells us in his account, on the day that Jesus died on the cross, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. This time, the darkness wasn't over Abraham. It was over Jesus, the Son of God, as he was nailed to the cross. And in dying, Isaiah said this about Jesus' death, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Cut off. Same terms. Cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was punished. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty that Abraham and all his people deserved in not being faithful to God. On the cross, Jesus fulfilled the terms of the agreement. Both ends. So what can we offer God? Nothing. Except one little thing. That's the key verse here, verse 6. Abraham, Abram, believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Boy, if you know anything about the Bible, if you've read about, you know, restoration in history, uh, um, uh, the Renaissance and all that sort of stuff, you know that this verse has incredible meaning throughout history. But in the Bible itself, this verse is constantly highlighted. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited, and God credited to him his righteousness. God just accepted that Abraham, in the weakest faith that he had, said, okay, he believes in me, that's enough. That's the gospel. Here's how Paul writes about it in Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as as it had been said about him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave God to glory. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was, a cre- it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. That's the gospel. That's it all right there. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. There's, there's no, we can't be faithful. It's not in us. As much as we try, and yet God is saying, I understand that. I, under, I, I know that about you. So just trust in me, and I'll take care of that part. 
All we have to do is receive his love. He won't force it upon us. We just, we just believe. So what's our takeaway here? What do we, what do, we do with this text? Um, I think it'll be different for, for each of us and, you know, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Um, go with that. But here's one thought that we can move with. It, it seems to me God is saying, is inviting us to come to him and say, how can I know? How do I know? It's amazing, isn't it, that Abraham came and said, Lord, I, I need more to trust you. I don't see how this is going to work. And what did God say? Did he say, how dare you question me? No. No, he said, isn't this amazing? I'll show you. When a man came to Jesus asking for him, for Jesus to heal his little boy, Jesus said, of course I can heal you if you believe. And what did the man say in response? I think I believe, I want to believe, help my unbelief. And that was enough. That did it. Jesus healed him. Um, Because here's the gospel. The people who think they see are blind. And the people who say I'm blind are finally beginning to see. The people who think they have lots of faith have... I have not gotten any, but the person who says, I wish I could believe, I don't believe, I want to believe, that's the beginning of belief. Because you're going to him. Just whether the times... When we're asking God, where are you at in this? Why aren't you providing? Starts by saying, I don't have it. I don't have it figured out. Abraham shows us the minute that we do that, that's when God shows up. Uh, look, here's the good news and the bad news for Abraham, how this plays out. Um, so the, the, the bad news is it wasn't, it, was, it wasn't for another 15 years that Abraham got the son. 15 years. Okay, when we get consumed, I, man, I, I almost can't make it a week. 15 years. It wasn't another 700 years before the people ultimately realized the promised land. 700 years. That kind of was a bummer for Abraham. Or was it? Um, Because the good news is God met Abraham where he was and did provide. Not in the timing that Abraham was thinking, not in the way he would have scripted it, but God did provide. But more than that, Abraham got got God himself. We remember Abraham today, don't we? Isn't that amazing? I love that we have Abraham. If he had gotten it all right then and there, we probably wouldn't remember him. And when we struggle with things, here we have this broken human being as an example to us, a very, very, a very, very real faith. Um, here, here, uh, we here today, we might not get the vision. That's sort of like really clear vision that, that, that God gave Abraham. Um, we might not get that sort of thing where God shows up so abundantly clear. Um, but when we face the times where we're asking the question, God, where are you at in this? Why aren't you providing? Do you realize that we actually have something far better than Abraham did, even though he had a great vision? Abraham was looking forward to all of this, but we see looking back that Jesus came. We have that promise, that assurance. We have and we see Jesus. Ask him to help you believe, to understand his love for you. I want to close with, these, with this last uh, from a, a verse from, from the Bible that I think is a beautiful foretaste that Abraham was getting ready to experience that we get to experience now today. Savor now because of what Jesus has done. Uh, Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray.